Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Kim, how are you going today? Oh, tickety-boo. Tickety-boo, Grant. Oh, fantastic. Well, I don't know that I can really match tickety-boo, but I'm possibly finer than frog fur. Shall we run with that? Finer than frog fur? That's a terrible terrible image in my head now. (laughs) You're welcome. It's going to totally throw me. You're welcome. (laughs) Hey, guess what, Grant? What? It's raining in Sydney. Oh, the weather. I was trying to avoid the weather, but no, you dragged us back to the weather. I know. We have to. It's the rule. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things now that it's like if you spill salt and you don't throw it over your shoulder, then I don't know, something's (laughs) going to get hit by a truck or something. It's the same thing. There'll just be a disaster if if we don't talk about the weather. There you go. Well, it's it's cold down here in Melbourne, but it's not raining. Uh I see. Mm. Anyway, that's enough of that. Grant. How many times have you said you are willing to pay a premium for a product because it's been made sustainably or it has sustainability, uh, sustainable characteristics uh, or, you know, it's been ethically made? But then when you're pushing the trolley down the aisle and you're hungry and in a hurry and you just grab the cheapest or the cheaper option. Now, before I, you answer, uh-huh. <laughs> you're looking very sheepish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually do that. I shop based on the brands that we know and use, so I don't even look at the price. I'm sorry. Well, look, I think our guests probably have a lot to say about that as well. But anyway, apart from ruining my intro, <laughs> I was going to say don't feel too bad if that was what you did uh, because according to research by Bain & Co, about 78% of us do exactly that. We say we're so virtuous and then there we are. You know, you're eating that whole grain cereal, but you're chowing down on the chocolate frogs in the cupboard. Anyway, (laughs) today we are joined by the authors of Bain's latest Asia-Pacific report, Unpacking Asia-Pacific Consumers' New Love Affair with Sustainability. And we're going to explore what is called the say-do gap, that space between our intentions and our actions, and the challenge that it presents for brand owners. David Zayner is a partner and Bain's APAC Head of Consumer Products Practice and Zara Lytala is an Associate Partner with the Global Consultancy. Welcome to you both. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, So, this report, so interesting. David, just give us a brief, give us the brief overview for the starting point, the brief synopsis. How many people did you talk to? What countries were they in? And then we can pull it in and start sort of really maybe looking more at a local sort of Australia um, sort of contingent focus. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we we this is the the biggest ever piece of consumer research that that Bain has run uh, in Asia, and um, it was sixteen thousand uh, consumers across eleven different markets supplemented by more than 50 hours of, um, of in-depth uh, one-on-one interviews. And, and basically, we were trying to understand uh, th- three things. Number one is who are Asia's sustainable consumers and what do they care about? Mm-hmm. Number two is what's the future outlook for sustainable shopping? And number three is 
what are the barriers um, for consumers to shop even more sustainably? And what do we do? What, what do we as a as an industry need to do about about those barriers? Okay, so what what were the key takeouts then of the research? So I'm going to actually let Zara go for that. Zara was the the sure. lead author and and really led this work. So Zara, over to you. Great. So as David said, huge study, but the the number one takeaway fact is that consumers here in APAC care as much as those in Europe or as in the US about environmental and social issues but actually even more so about health. Um, And you might wonder why we're talking about health when we talk about sustainability, but this is really about health for me and health for the planet. So that that consciousness was sort of coming up to even um, close to double of what we were seeing in in the US um, and Europe for the health factors. So this is a real indication that consumers here in APAC have woken up to sustainability and they're keen to um, not just pick up the cheapest item in the aisle, but pick up one that is also doing good. Okay. And so then what were they saying were the, that's what they want to do, but but then the behaviour is not mirroring that. And what are the key reasons that's happening? Well, look, there are a lot of drivers um, behind this. I think the best place to start is to think about consumers' understanding of what sustainability actually means. Um, I don't know how many times the both of you have thought about what sustainability means when you go and pick up one item or another in a store, but it's actually pretty hard for shoppers. So we had a bit of fun during the study and we got the shoppers to fill in a quiz um, as part of the study where they had to choose um, between a few products and say which one of them had the lower carbon footprint. And what we found is that 70% of the respondents were actually unable to answer correctly. 10% could not answer at all. And so that leaves 20% actually picking the more sustainable option. So <laughs> there's just a, yeah, it's a problem, yeah. right? It's yeah. just a really vague um, starting point understanding. And, and, and maybe you're surprised, but may, maybe let me bring to life why, why that's maybe not quite so surprising. There are 450 eco-labels globally, Kim. And we're expecting consumers to be able to read between those, know which ones are better, know what they mean. We're also asking consumers to trade off quite difficult things. So, um, for example, plant-based options that might consume a lot more water or organic options that may have been flown thousands of miles. And so what shoppers told us during the study was that they're checking at least three data sources um, to try and understand what is really sustainable um, and make, make clearer decisions. That's a really interesting point in terms of, I mean, even I would say that sometimes the decision making is just a is a laziness, but it's actually not. It's actually that the amount of information or how that information is presented is actually quite complex or it, well, it's either lacking or it can be quite complex and it's it's actually because it's quite hard to make that decision. Is that fair? That's right. And And each of us has sort of different parts of sustainability that we might care about, I guess, a little bit more, whether that's sort of emissions or water usage or waste. But but maybe if I just take that a step further, that was just a view of consumers' understanding of sustainability. Actually, if you imagine that you're walking down the the aisle, you're getting closer to the shelf and you're thinking about which product to buy, what shoppers told us is that there's often a lack of sustainable alternatives in the store. And those that are there, 
they're actually less attractive or they're perceived to be less effective. So once you put a green stamp on a toothpaste or whatever other product, consumers are sort of questioning the efficacy. And then they talked about less convenience. So the challenge of either having to take longer to find the products within a store or go between multiple stores to find the products that they want. And of course, the question that you called out at the beginning, um, which was around price. And we did see price called out as an issue, but in fact, only about 16% of the issue across the region. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so overall price is a factor, but, but shoppers overwhelmingly telling us that they would be willing to pay more. In fact, 90% of them would be willing to pay at least 10% more. And looking ahead over the next three years, we see around 40% of them saying that they intend to spend more again, at least up to 10% more. And that's despite some of the growing macroeconomic headwinds. So, so price is there, but it's, it's not the, um, I know we were teasing Grant at the beginning, but it's not the sort of real factor that shoppers are turning away from these products. It's sort of everything that we talked about before. And if I may just leave you with one sort of tricky issue, which is those challenges that we talked about before, they're not happening in isolation. They're happening together within one purchase journey. And right. so despite the fact shoppers are really enthusiastic um, they might go into the store actually intending to purchase. Many of them drop out um, when they get closer to the aisle. Goodness. So, I mean, that's with armed with that knowledge about where the consumer is coming from. What does that? Uh, I mean, that. What does that mean for a brand or for a, for a, you know a food in our case a food and beverage company in terms of addressing those issues? Well. Kim, maybe I'll jump in on, on this one. One of the, um, you know, the, the, the really important things that came through the research is, is we asked people, um, who do you think should be most responsible for helping consumers shop sustainably? And we gave them five options. We said that one option was, was the, the brand owners, one was the retailers, one was the government, one was me as the consumer, and mm-hmm. and then we gave them an, an other, and and the the the, re, the the insight was very clearly um, in Australia and actually in most markets in Asia was that consumers are expecting the brand owners to take the lead on this. So so the this question that I just played back, the number one uh, group that consumers are expecting to help them shop responsibly is the brand owners. Yeah. Number number right. two was the number two was the government. Number three was them the consumers themselves and, and number oh. four in australia was the was the retailers and so, okay. so, so that's it so it's a it's a um it, it's a call to action for i suppose for all of those groups but most particularly for the um the, the food and beverage and personal care companies that are making the products that consumers are trying to buy okay and then i know that within the study you also talked to executives within a number of companies as well when they're sort of faced with that, you know, that sort of information or if they get that sort of knowledge back, what's their response? Does it feel onerous to them? Do they think that or or is it like we just don't, we're trying, we're trying to do it, but we don't know how to make the biggest impact? Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, this is this is a, a really hot topic in the industry at the moment. I mean, we we, we do talk to uh, a lot of the chief executives in the industry and, and essentially 100% of them would say that, sustainability is a priority for them. Um, half of them would say that they, they feel like they're going to need a bolder ambition for their sustainability 
um, efforts, right. 90% of them would say that they're, they're not yet on track to deliver against the targets that they've set. And this, essentially all of them would say that they, they need to do more to fully embed sustainability into the brands. Um, and so it, it, it's definitely something that people are working hard on, um, but but not, you know, not too many companies have have really cracked it. Are actually, yeah. And did you, did the, yeah, go, yes, go on, Zara. They, uh, may, maybe to build on this, I mean, as David said, everyone's committed to this and everyone's doing things. Yeah. But the progress that they're able to see is not as significant as the commitments necessarily that they're making. And when we ask executives a little bit to try and characterize the challenges that they're facing or the barriers that they're facing, they called out three core barriers. The first one was really around consumer commitment. So they talked about consumers talking a big talk, saying that they want it all, but not actually being willing to follow through in terms of the purchase. The second element that we heard a lot was around not being able to find the right solutions to meet their ambition at the right cost and the right partners to be able to help them take those solutions really to scale. And then the third thing that they talked about was challenges in their operating model. So what I mean by this, because people use operating model in different ways, sort of a feeling that some of the organization feels a bit fatigued from some of the sustainability um, efforts not necessarily following through. So we heard quotes around being taxed and told, for example, and a recognition that this really needs to be embedded through sort of all elements of the operating model. People want to see more leadership from the top. So there's a lot of factors coming through, but the consumer commitment that I started off with in these three is a really hot topic. And so given the sort of sheer number, 60% of the world's consumers sitting here in APAC, and given this challenge around consumer commitment, that's really why we decided to say, well, let's start by understanding what's going on with the consumers. And if we can understand that better, then some of the actions that follow after this can sort of be more targeted and, and hopefully succeed. Mm. Did your research look into what, I mean, obviously it was showing the things that were were hindering or that consumers were finding difficult or hindering their, their purchasing. Did it also ask or did it also look into what they wanted or what the solutions were or, or things that they wanted to see? So we asked consumers across APAC, what do they care about? So when we talk about sustainability, we mentioned earlier, there are so many different attributes that we can talk about. What, what is it that they really want? What they told us fairly consistently across the region was that they want healthy ingredients, which are natural, additive and chemical free, ideally organic, delivered in sustainable packaging with clear symbols about what it is that they're getting and what it is that they're paying and ideally some local sourcing um, of those materials. Now in Australia specifically, this element around healthy ingredients, chemical three and natural were the top three elements that came out. Um, but the, the elements around local sourcing was a bit stronger than in other markets. Yes, yeah, it's a very big, it's a very big player in the Australian market. I think only heightened since COVID, really. And sustainable packaging too, that, that was also pretty key in Australia. So uh, there are, those themes were consistent across the region, but we know APAC is famously diverse. So um, yes, you know, the <laughs> yes. But but and I, the other thing I'd, I'd say, Kim, just on that topic is is um, when Zara talks about what, what they're looking for, this is also not just um, you know inner city, uh, relatively affluent, relatively young 
um, consumers. The, the base of consumers across Australia who care about sustainability um, was, was really wide. And so, it, it, right. it, you know, sustainable consumers span all age groups and all income demographics, which were the two sort of um, mm. profiling factors that we used in, in the research. And so, you know, this is, a, this is one of the reasons that we're sort of optimistic about the future here is because, you know, there is a, there is a very large base of Australian consumers who say this is important to them and who say that they're prepared to um, act on these intentions. And so all of the sort of questions around future purchase intent were very strong, stated willingness to pay a premium were very strong, as uh, as Zara mentioned. And so it it really is, um, uh, you know, it it really is an opportunity, we think, for the industry to to help lead the consumers on this journey that they're up for um, by, by creating the right alternatives um, by making sure that they're available in the right channels and to make the messaging um, a lot clearer than it is at the moment to, to sort of help consumers guide guide their way through that journey. Yes, I think the labelling sort of concept is is always one that seems a particular sticking point, you know, in terms of which logo or which label and, and which um, certification or means what. And um, and I'm guessing that there's a there would be a greater coherence across that would be greatly appreciated. I think that's true, but I think it goes further than just the labelling. I think if you if you were to pick up a product from a shelf, a label is one thing, but what we hear a lot from consumers when they identify brands that they think are really sustainable, those brands have sustainability embedded in their core purpose. So that's actually quite easy to understand. Um, some sort of examples that you might pull out, there's a, a toilet roll brand um, called Who Gives a Crap? I'm not swearing yes. there. That's the name yes. of the uh, product. Um, and the product is, uh, you know, recycled paper and it gives 50% of its profits back um, in terms of sanitation facilities um, and also for, for water usage. There are many more of these um, insurgent brands across APAC, which are really gaining pace. And, in the consumer's eyes, that's actually easier to understand, I think, than an eco-label and trading off, you know, one eco-label between another. At the core of the product, they're existing to deliver an, a great product, but also help to manage this sustainability challenges. And typically, we see them picking just one or two elements of sustainability that they're really focused on. So again, that comes back to this concept of simplicity for the consumer. When you buy something like the product, the toilet roll product that I talked about before, that's not about, um, it's not leading with trying to say, this is what we're doing on emissions and animal cruelty and all these things. It's just very focused on a few things they're doing. And I do think from a consumer perspective, when you think about all of the products which are in the store or online, um, those cut through messages, which are very simple, just help. So for companies that have a, a longer you know, a history or, you know, so have a heritage brand or a heritage company, is it harder then for those sorts of juggernauts or those sorts of companies to make inroads into this space, either because of attitudes towards that company because of they've been around for forever or even just from their operational point of view in terms of trying to shift their operations into a more sustainable one? Yeah, so, so, I, so, so I think um, it, it, it is harder. Um, but we are seeing um, a number of the big sort of incumbent brands start to take what we think are some quite quite exciting steps on this journey. That basically, what what we're 
the, the way that we're seeing brands that do this well, that they do they do a few things. One is that they have a really clear view on what we call base notes and high notes. And so base notes are sort of the aspects of sustainability that you just need to be um, you need to be working on um, because if you don't, it creates sort of downside risk. Um, and so you, you kind of need to, and, and expectations are always rising, regulations are always changing. You need to be working on, brand owners need to be working on a number of different aspects of sustainability. But then the high notes, like Zara mentioned, are the one or two things that you're really clear that your brand is going gonna, is gonna to stand for. And then you need to embed those, um, you know, really quite deeply into the messaging and into the brand itself. And so um, the, one of the examples that the brands that we think is doing quite well is, is Finish, the, the dishwashing brand that uh, recommends oh, yeah. their owns. And, and they, they're sort of a few years ago, it was, it was Finish thoroughly cleans every single dish that life creates. Now it's we sort of thoroughly clean dishes and an end to water waste. And so if you look at some of their above the line messaging, it, it, it sort of makes the point that using a dishwasher uses less water than washing dishes by hand, for example. Oh. And so yeah. th there's a, a sort of a single sustainability-related attribute that mm. they've tried to embed into their messaging, and, and they do it relatively consistently. So, so when we look at brands that have ESG attributes at their core and how often those attributes are used in their, you know, their, their, their um, social media posts and so on, it's mm. just dramatically different from legacy brands that just haven't, Sort of got around to trying to put it put put sustainability into the the heart of those brands, and so you know it really does need to kind of infuse all aspects of the the brand positioning and the brand communication. But once you do that, you can start to you know create these memory structures in consumers' minds that um, right. you know that, that that allow these brands, some of which are hundreds of years old, um, to to sort of reinvent themselves with with new attributes. Mm. What's the sort of I mean, I know. I mean, I know there's sort of general time frame, but what what are we looking at here in terms of reaching a point where, let's say, you 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 did a similar study, and the outcome, you know, the things that consumers were saying, those numbers were shifting. I, I can share a few thoughts on that. I mean, when we did the study, what we heard from shoppers is that 40% of them started shopping sustainably in the last two years, um, and that's sort of the APAC wide statistic, and that was pretty consistent in Australia as well. I think it was about 38%. So we've got to remember this is this is still fairly new. What we do see, though, is, as we talked about earlier, is this willingness to continue to expend, spend more over the next few years, so closer to the 40%, and a very high number of consumers recommending this to others. So two out of three consumers across APAC told us they regularly recommend sustainable brands that they love to others. So our view here is that the outlook is really promising. This is just going to gain pace. It's a structural shift. It's not sort of a short-term trend. Um, and I think the question would be, you know, how far are they actually actioning this behavior across multiple categories? Are they doing this on a repeat basis? But we do see sort of shoppers indicating that this is becoming much more of a, a requirement, not something that's sort of a novelty, an optional thing, or even something they view as a, you know, a luxury uh, choice. Wow. Okay, we've just got a couple more minutes. So, David, what's your key takeaways from the research and then what would be your key piece of, a key recommendation from it for a brand? 
The key takeaway really is that there is um, a very large fraction of the Australian consumer base that says that sustainability really matters to them when they shop. And that says that they intend to shop even more sustainably in the future than they do today. And that they say they would be willing to to pay a a reasonable premium uh, for more sustainable products. Um, However, there is clearly some barriers to that um, to that sustainable shopping, and and Zara went through them earlier. But but it's a it's a it's a complicated issue. It starts with um, a nascent understanding of what sustainability means. Um, there are availability issues. There are product issues. There are price issues, um, and consumers are expecting brand owners to take the lead to make to make mm. it easier for them. Um, and and as I said, we, we the the, the the, the key things that we encourage brand owners to do is to is is to set an ambition, um, to be clear on your your base notes and your high notes, mm. and then to do the hard work to put sustainability at the core of the of the of the brands. Mm. Zara, what would you what what would you say to that? What I would say is um, I agree, obviously, with everything David says, um, but, <laughs> but just to add on something that hopefully causes some optimism for those of you listening and, and thinking about how far you want to act on this. We see global evidence that ESG is actually or sustainability is driving category growth. And so to bring this to life in consumer industries, we see a third of new consumer startups having an ESG focused mission. Um, and we see sustainably marketed consumer goods in the U.S., contributing to about 15% of the market, but about 30% of the growth. And we anecdotally, we're hearing similar things in Europe. So the question for you, I think, listening is, if, if shoppers are telling us that they want this, they're willing to pay more, and we're seeing this growth globally, how far do you want to be part of that growth momentum? What do you need to change in terms of some of those barriers um, so that shoppers can choose you and we can sort of have great sales results, but also great outcomes for the planet as well? Tremendous. Tremendous. What do you think, Grant? I think that's fantastic. And there's definitely a few brands that were mentioned there that uh, we're already using. So, yay, go oh, us. Oh, look, your policy is already working. <laughs> yeah, who knew? But no, fantastic. Uh, amazing no, look, discussion. It, yeah, just, I mean, yeah. Just to actually get the hard data, you know, just to actually talk to the and to talk to them on such a scale and then to talk to the companies and to really just get meat into the the discussion rather than just sort of a bit of, you know, shouting to the shouting into the wind about what we think is driving this issue and and what the challenges are it's just yeah it's fantastic and so enlightening uh, Zara and David thank you so much for joining us it was really really interesting Well, thanks, Zara and David. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget that if you enjoyed this show and liked what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of food and drink business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform 
and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.